All right, Lisa. So we spent ample time talking about the Tokyo Olympians. Um, so I think it's more than appropriate for us to look at the Paralympics. So I think we should bring that up today. Yeah, I agree. So that ran August 24th to September 5th. So it just finished as of the date of this recording. And the United States had the third highest medal count. And I do just want to say that women, U.S. women Paralympians, got 61% of the overall medals. So they really showed up. And uh, I believe there was actually more women Paralympians than there were men, um, Mm -hmm. which certainly isn't the case in the Olympics. So I think there's a lot to talk about. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So, Lisa, I had no idea that the games actually started in London. So back yeah, at home for I. you, right? Yeah. I had no idea. That's news. To, I mean, you know, w- once I found that out, you know, I thought about the Invictus games and some other things, but that's incredible. I had no idea. I know like the UK or England specifically is, um, you know, the site of many good things, but also many heinous things. So mm, a little bit mm-hmm. of push and pull there. Yeah. But it began <laughs> after World War II and was designed for all those veterans coming back who had spinal cord injuries. So we're really talking about larger oh, men here. There may yeah, have been yeah. some women, but it was primarily men. And in 1948, they held what was known as the Stoke Mandeville Games. Stoke Mandeville mm. is a place Um, And it was Mm -hmm. archery and it was for wheelchair athletes. And so that over time evolved into what we now know as the Paralympics. Oh, that's incredible. I had no idea of that. And um, I love that history because that's the time around, let's see, 1948. That's around the time that my late grandfather was actually in the U.S. Army and would have been returning home at that time as well from his tour. So, yeah. So that's pretty cool. Wow. That's incredible. Oh, well, we know that it's evolved from just those, that sport to many and uh, some of our favorites. I know Lisa, you and I, we usually watch a lot Mm -hmm. of swimming, (laughs) so we're definitely watching that, but that, that is incredible that it involved, it evolved from that small um, event to something so much larger. And Mm -hmm. what, what do we have now over, over 30 sports? Is it over 30? It's over 30 in the Olympics and it's 23 in the Paralympics. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's been a long road because a lot of the time, I mean, we're going to talk about this later in the podcast, but a lot of the time the Paralympics was second or in the shadow of the Olympics. And it wasn't until fairly Mm. recently that the requirement um, is that if you want to host the Olympics, you have to bid for both games. Mm-hmm. So historically, mm-hmm. they weren't even held in the same city. Um, right. And the International Olympic Committee and the International Paralympic Committee didn't really work together. They didn't have a great relationship. And then it's like in the last 20 to 30 years, very recently, they started working together. And so now we see this kind of dual um, program where the Olympics come first and then shortly thereafter, we have the Paralympics. So... Yes, I felt very lost in my evenings after the Olympics finished because I was like, (laughs) what am I going to do if not binge watch all of these sports? And then lo and behold, August 24th rolls around and I was overjoyed that I could sink several hours for the next 14 days into more um, sports. And so I watched a ton of track and swimming in particular. Um, But though, and I watched um, 
basketball and uh, volleyball, seeded volleyball. And then there's another game that I can't remember what it's called, but there's three players at mm-hmm. either end um, of a court. It's indoor and they have mm-hmm. um, blindfolds on um, to kind yes. of equalize visual impairments. Yes. And then the ball has something in it, noise, and they have to throw it down one end and they, the players in the goal essentially have to listen for the ball and then dive to stop it. It's super cool. Um, I'd never heard of it before and that's my bad, Um, but Mm -hmm, that was pretty mm -hmm. awesome to watch. And I think the U S did quite well in that um, (sighs) tournament too. So, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, and you know, my, my thing is, you know, I've, I felt a little frustrated because, you know, we know that when it came to the Olympics, we saw lots of branding and marketing, you know, you had to literally be with, without a TV and possibly without any connection to Wi-Fi to not know that the Olympics were coming. And so, you know, once it came to the Paralympics and literally have to having to search through channels and, oh, well, that's a premium channel, or maybe I'm going to have to just live stream it because I can't find things. You know, some of that was pretty tough. I don't know if you had the same experience, but even as I was aware that some of my favorite sports were coming up, especially the swimming, I always watch swimming, um, but it took a little more effort and I'm like, okay, is this by design? Because it mm. was a little tougher mm-hmm. for me. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, am I the only one that uh, just doesn't have all the premium channels or is this really a thing as far as how it was set up in comparison to the Olympics? I'm like, mm, this should not be as much of a problem as it is for me. No, and I I think I don't know whether it's by design in a conscious sense, but it's by design probably with the implicit assumption that the Paralympic mm. Games are just not as popular as the Olympics, similar to the messages we hear about women's sport not being mm-hmm. as popular or as lucrative as men's sport. And so kind of the cycle feeds itself. Um, but you're right, like in the middle of the day, I would be able to turn on um, an Olympic sport, you know, shot put or something other random. But with the Paralympics, I had to largely wait until the evening for them to recap it. So I couldn't watch anything live. Um, it's possible that it was out there, but I certainly did take a couple of opportunities to scroll through my channels, um, mm-hmm. you know, on Hulu. And I wasn't able to see it during the day. It was live streamed, but like you say, not everyone has access to be able to watch live streamed um, stuff right. on their internet during the day. So right. I think that, you know, that isn't surprising to me, right? Because right. this right. implicit assumption by kind of an able-bodied media um, landscape and television network landscape that assumes that mm-hmm. it's not as interesting. So they don't play it as much, but then that creates the problem because if it's not on as much, people don't know that it's there. And so they don't watch it. They don't um, watch it. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I have, I pulled the numbers, the viewership numbers. And so mm. in London, 2012, it, the viewership was about 3.8 million. Um, and then in Rio in 2016, 4.1 million. And then in Tokyo, it was up again to 5.2 million. So we are seeing a steady increase in the number of people who are tuning in to the Paralympics. And then um, on the other side of that, we have the Olympics. And I have Rio was 26.7 million people watching the Olympics. And that dropped by 10 million for Tokyo and dropped to 15.5 million. So we're seeing a drop in viewership um, for the Mm. Olympics and an increase in viewership for the Paralympics. Although we're still looking at three times more um, the number of viewers for Tokyo Olympics versus Tokyo Paralympics. But it doesn't seem like that increase in viewership is coming with the attendant money and resources and education and marketing. But 
you know, maybe it has, maybe folks can call in. And if you've watched this every four years and you can say, actually, you know, in in 2000, there was nothing. Mm -hmm. And now in 2021, there was a ton more, you know, that kind of perspective would be useful. It would be extremely useful. And, you know, even a side-by-side comparison of, you know, which sports were being watched most in comparison to what sports were being watched most in, in the Olympics. You know, I, I, this is what's interesting to me when I'm looking at this list of the sports that were actually included in the Paralympics, they're all some of the favorites, <laughs> whether it's the Olympics or the Paralympics, they're some of the sports that are the favorites of a lot of people. I mean, you know, when it comes to track and field and volleyball, swimming, table tennis, uh, my boys particularly love Taekwondo, um, triathlon, you know, we're going to watch that. There's so many other things fencing, wheelchair fencing, rugby, wheelchair rugby, all of those are are really comparable. And so, you know, I would just want to drill down into more of the numbers of the viewership, even by sport. So, you know, because we, we know they're strategic in the summer Olympic games with that as well, that they know most people want to watch the ladies gymnastics and track and field. So it's always prime time after you've gotten home from work, you've had dinner, you can sit down with a glass of wine and boom, it's going to be on and ready for you um, versus nine 15 in the morning necessarily. <laughs> like at least the replay is on in prime time. And so I, I think there's a, a method to their madness on that. Um, but you know, there may not need to be a method to the madness, Lisa, if we, really intellectually thought through what it would look like to have both of the games together rather than separate. And I'm sure there's been some, some argument of that. I'm coming in as a novice to that conversation, but it feels kind of separate, but equally to me. And I'm glad that you even brought up that sec, that separate, but equal feeling. It's like we're, we keep walking past that same rock over and over again, where the system of oppression is, duplicated with just yet another group but you know i i want to talk about the pros and cons of both sides here you know wouldn't there Mm -hmm, be mm -hmm. a benefit to combining for you know for branding purposes for marketing purposes i i don't know i mean maybe i'm not equipped um to speak on this as as a non-olympian of any sort (laughs) Uh, but i wonder how they feel about it you know I, i think it's an interesting thing to at least bat around yeah, I mean, from the research that I did over the last week, it's definitely a contentious issue. And there's a ton mm. of writing about whether or not the Paralympics and the Olympics should be combined or whether they should stay separate. So there's kind of opinion pieces, academic pieces, there's blogs and um, message boards, like there's a whole Reddit chain about it, I think. Um, mm. You know, so there's a, mm-hmm. certainly a lot out there where you could go and read. And I would say, you know, having looked at all of that, it kind of, it distills down to some few key points, I would say. So um, the two biggest issues that come up um, that are against bringing the Olympics and the Paralympics together, so they're in favor of keeping it separate, are that Mm -hmm. if we combine the two, then the Paralympians will fade into obscurity. They will be overshadowed by and ignored in favor of able-bodied champions like Usain Bolt and folks like that who have such Mm -hmm. recognition on the world stage. I certainly know Usain Bolt didn't run, obviously, in this Olympics, but people of his caliber and his um, fame. So there's concern that the the, uh, disabled athletes would um, be forgotten and ignored. And then the second um, argument against bringing them together is logistics, that it would just be too big and too expensive, oh, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which 
I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that because when the bids have to go in damn near a decade before the games happen in preparation for the games, then why would the logistics, I mean, again, we're saying that we're normalizing the logistics of the Olympic games venues based on able-bodied folks rather than for everyone. Shouldn't all of the venues have accessibility regardless. And so here we go back again, Lisa, a couple of our favorite words, universal design. Why, why couldn't it be universally designed from the beginning? So I don't know if I, mm-hmm. I I'm not, I'm not buying that one. I'm not buying that one, but okay. Yeah. Continue. yeah. So like things like <laughs> we, you'd have to build more stadiums, bigger stadiums, all that sort of thing, which I agree. I feel like it's a little bit of a scapegoat of a argument. I mean, it actually made me think of Iron Man and Kona when they said, they couldn't give equal slots to the pro women because there wasn't enough room to add the bikes to the pier, right? Mm-hmm. Like they couldn't add 15 more slots for women's bikes to the pier to bring them up to 50. But then over the subsequent years, they added like an extra 1500 <laughs> spaces for age groupers. Right, um, right. And one commentator made a point that, you know, back when the Olympics first began in those very early years, like we're talking thousands of years ago, right? And over time, it's gradually increased. So Every four years, the host city has managed to deal with an expanding games. And like you said, you're putting in a bid 10 years ahead of time so you could plan for that. So I do feel like logistics is a little bit of a cop out and is used all the time to prevent Mm. progress, right? To prevent equality and equity. Um, That's right. That's right. Exactly. They were the two big ones that I saw. And then in terms of pulling them together. Um, oh no, the other, the other one, sorry, that was related to keeping them separate was that the Paralympic games puts a bright spotlight on Paralympic Paralympians specifically. So they're not hidden right behind Olympians. They are out there in front. The attention mm. is all on them a hundred percent of the time about their achievements, their medal count, their games. And so the you know, kind of goes hand in hand with that feeling that if you bring it together, then they would get subsumed and lost. Mm. Then in terms of having it together, the primary arguments are having Paralympics and Olympics separate simply positions Paralympians as a second-class group, as other. And there's this Mm. one quote I really liked by a blind Paralympian um, in an article, and we'll put these articles in the show notes. Um, Yeah. They say, in some ways, this separate competition feels like a sideshow, a reflection of a painful reality. We still think of disability as something other. So for him, he's a strong advocate, or for them, Mm -hmm. um, sorry, a strong advocate of bringing the games together. And Mm -hmm. um, right now, we've just talked about it, less resources, less media, less marketing they come Mm -hmm. after the olympics so what does that mean to position it after versus before Mm -hmm. um and so you know pulling them together would then create more opportunities more resources more media exposure more funding for paralympics um and then the other one for bringing them together is that if you keep it separate it denies the humanity of disabled people Mm -hmm. Um, and it also allows inspiration porn to flourish. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we've talked about inspiration Mm -hmm. porn a couple of times, but why don't we recap the definition, Shauna? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, we, we have to remember that inspiration porn, (laughs) 
it, it happens quite a bit with folks that are differently abled. Um, and the whole point of inspiration porn is that it's objectifying the group itself to the benefit of others. So if I, as a swimmer, am watching a paraplegic swimmer, I hope I'm using the correct non-ableist language, but an individual who does not have all of their limbs swim, and I'm using that in a way that allows me to say, oh, well, if they can do it without this, this, and this, I can certainly do it with all of my limbs. And in many ways, it allows the benefit of another to happen when it comes to oppression. So I benefit from the sentimental, the pitiful, the, oh, woe is them, but I should be okay feeling. And so I think we really need to be careful with walking that line of how can we appropriately celebrate the accomplishments of those athletes without using it in such a way that it's still kind of, every time I hear inspiration porn, I always feel like we're kind of symbolically patting that group on the head. Oh, you're so like, almost yeah. like a pet. Yep. Yep. And, and, and I don't care for that feeling. I don't care for that feeling at all because it objectifies an entire group to make the rest of us who do not have bodies that function in the same way. It makes us Lord over them, glorify ourselves in comparison. And so that, mm -hmm. that's why mm -hmm. it, it just stinks to me. It stinks. And so I, I feel some kind of way about, you know, I, I do think that everything is by design, even if it's by neglectful design, I, I still think it's by design. And so what does that mean when we glorify individuals? Um, I, I saw one quote um, that said, why are we glorifying people that are supposed to do what they do? If my form of walking ha happens to be with two able legs, feet, knees, hips, and your form of walking is in a wheelchair, we're both walking. And so why is one form of walking glorified over another? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was their rationale is why we, we don't applaud fish that swim. That's one of my favorite phrases. We don't oh, applaud yeah. fish that swim. You know, if you're walking, then you're walking. Now, if this is an accomplishment where you've thrown the shot put, twice as far as anyone else in history, that that's a superpower. But if you're just walking, then why are we um, making it more sentimental and, oh, let's create the commercials that make us all cry? Because if someone that woe is me can do it, then why can't I? That That's heinous and grimy, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to be careful not to do that with an entire uh, enterprise called the Paralympics. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we have to be sure not to do that. And so that, that's my concern with that griminess of that inspiration porn. Yeah. So we see it. Yeah. We, and we see it a lot, right? Like, Oh, look, yeah. they, they did that thing. They won that gold medal quote unquote, in spite of their disability, right? Like there you go. as though they're achieving something, um, harder or greater based on the fact that they have a disability and so mm -hmm. many in the disability community would reject that i mean there's the the um, advertisement by toyota um that includes jess long who's um a yes. very highly decorated uh, paralympian swimmer i think she has 28 uh, paralympic medals overall and she mm -hmm. won uh, several goals in the one um that we just saw and yeah. you know it's the it's the adoptive mother that's talking that it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to have a child who has to have her um legs amputated from below the knee but we'll do mm -hmm. it and um yeah. yep. you know it's it's a it's problematic from that kind of inspiration porn angle and then 
Interestingly, there's another commercial that only aired during the Paralympics. I say only with the caveat being that mm. I've watched the Olympics. I watch other TV like NBC, ABC, CBS, et cetera. Yeah. And I o- have only seen this commercial mm. when the Paralympics yeah. have been playing on NBC. And it's um, an ag- advocacy organization called We Are 15. And mm. basically mm-hmm. it's an um, organization that is working to end discrimination um, mm-hmm. for disabled people and that inspiration porn, that kind of pedestalling of individuals that are differently abled um, as though just existing um, is some kind right. of achievement. Um, so we'll include that link to the Jess Long commercial and to the commercial for the We Are 15 campaign. But that is where those arguments about bringing together the Olympics and the Paralympics come from, is that if we pull the two together, um, We are not othering Paralympics. Um, We're not separating them. We are simply saying, here are a diverse group of Olympians who Mm -hmm. are all competing to be the best in their sport, right? Mm -hmm. And their sport could be wheelchair basketball, or it could be pole vault, or it could be, you know, the hundred breaststroke or um, seeded volleyball, right? Like, so looking at it more in that universal design way that there's just an array of different sports with an array of different athletes and it's Mm -hmm. all together. Um, So, you know, I think I fall on the side of bringing them together um, based on what Mm -hmm. I've read um, because I do think that separate but equal um, Mm -hmm. kind of legal doctrine, right? That grew out of the uh, 1954 Brown versus Board case here in the United States, I yeah. I just think it's inherently unequal. Separate is inherently mm. unequal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know. And, well, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm woefully behind on the debate because I, I was asking the question sincerely not to spark a debate. And then we realized it was one. Um, but, you know, I think what's where it lands for me is I'm really kind of invested in this very, <laughs> very overlapped Venn diagram. I, I keep doing my hands like this, Lisa can see them, but um, I'm overlapping this Venn diagram a lot where, you know, what if we had the possibility of having a combined games where the majority of the, the sports where we can have a vast array of diverse athletes compete against each other. There may be some sports that there just isn't a true comparison, you know, and, and that may be okay too, but what about the sports there that there is a true comparison? Why not overlap them? Why not allow people to be the best in their sport in the world um, on a particular day at a particular time? Um, No, I'm, I'm not falling for the idea that we can't build by universal design, the facilities that are required. Yes, it may take more effort, but that's the reason why you apply for, you know, the bid. That, that's why we already know about Paris and we already know about 2028 LA. We already know that. That gives you enough time to figure out how can you make all of this more accessible. Just like if there wasn't a pandemic, um, we would have accessible um, or at least a diverse array of spectators why would we not have a diverse array of athletes? I, I, I don't understand that, but okay. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking of a, a larger Venn diagram of let as many sports uh, compete against one another as possible. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, you and I may need to consult with some other folks that would consider themselves Paralympians or that's their goal to find out how they feel about it. Um, but as a 
extremely privileged, able-bodied person who happens to come Mm -hmm. from a black perspective, it's hard for me not to see separate, but equal. And I I would prefer what the athletes prefer. So yeah, uh, that that's a long answer, a a long answer to non-answer the question. I, I think it's as usual, messy mm-hmm. on this <laughs> podcast, um, but necessarily messy for us to think through, you know, those times where it looks as if it's separate, but equal and it's not. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's definitely a divisive um, mm-hmm. situation or topic. And I think there are Paralympians that fall on all sides, right? Because there's probably more than two perspectives. Um So I don't know that we are going to get there anytime soon. What I will say is the Commonwealth Games, which is um, games where Commonwealth or former Commonwealth um, countries, Canada, Australia, the UK, Commonwealth being the queen. um, The queen, yep. Yep. um, Compete. And I think the last two games um, have pulled uh, it together. So they have a combined Commonwealth Games where um, athletes and para athletes all compete in the same time frame, right? So they have done mm. the integration and it sounds like it's worked out really well. I definitely need to do some more digging on that because I've only read a little bit about it. Um, but there mm-hmm. is some talk that that could be a model for the Olympic Paralympic integration Ooh. in the future. So mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. that it's not been done, right? Um, which right. Right. is often a reason to not do something is, well, we don't know if it will work. Well, I mean, that is... Um, mm a perspective that would stop any kind of progress in my opinion. So if you don't try, you don't know. Um, That's right. That's right. Exactly. And there's lots of things that were done at the Tokyo Olympics that have never been done in the past either that they tried and it worked. So recyclable beds for the athletes and, you know, the metals being made from recycled materials. And there were so many things that were tried this year that uh, again, I, I call, I call BS on the excuse making to universal design. I call BS to that. You know what? Just made me think if you can get that many drones with lights on in the air in (laughs) order to make a globe with all of the countries on there. So you're looking at it and you're like, oh, my gosh, that is an elevated globe um, of the Mm -hmm. world. You can do that. I am pretty sure you could figure out how to integrate the Paralympics into the Olympics or the Olympics into the Paralympics. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the logistics argument doesn't Mm -hmm. really hold a lot of sway for me, but we are curious what you all think, right? Because Shauna and I, at the beginning of our journey and understanding this, um, we've talked about it off air too, but we would love to hear from you all. Um, Email us, send us a voice message. Um, If you know more about this, know more about the history, have a strong opinion either way. I think Mm -hmm. it could be really useful for the two of us to hear from you, but also for our listeners, because this issue isn't going away. And I anticipate that it will just become more and more salient as time moves on. And we we think about intersectional identities. We think about sport as a human right. And we think about what does it mean to continually categorize and separate people who are, quote unquote, other from um, what we consider dominant in this world. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, you know, Lisa, I think it might even be appropriate to wrap up our time together that, you know, one of the folks that we researched to even think about this topic was actually Jess Long. And I love one of her uh, common quotes that, you know, the only disability in life is a negative attitude. And I think that's so powerful because, you know, when we think about the negative attitudes, the only ones that we've heard are the negative attitudes against differently abled folks doing what they love. I think that's what we need to query here. The Unfazed Podcast and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. 
Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data. They provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash feistytriathlon. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to OutspokenSummit.com. We hope to see you there. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.